Did I tell you guys that uh, I forgot about my my son that was born last year on my taxes? You <laughs> forgot about your son on I, your taxes? I, I forgot to add him to my taxes, so we got deductions for three kids instead of four. You just lost track of how many kids you have, huh? Well, I, I, I'm so used to having him around that I just forgot that it was news to my account. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Harvest. I use them for tracking work and invoicing clients. You can get a 30-day trial at getharvest.com. Use the offer code RR after your 30-day trial to get 50% off your first month. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. We also have Evan Light. I... And Jeff Schoolcraft. And I'm Charles Maxwood from teachmetocode.com. And this week, we are going to be talking about what to charge for again. um, Because Chuck lost it last time. Yeah, I I thought I'd copied it over to my computer for my digital audio recorder. And I didn't. (laughs) That's really what it came down to. So my VA never got it to post it. So anyway, uh, so we're going to get in and talk about it again. Um, The the question really is, what do you charge your clients for? Um, Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, just a few because we talked about it before. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Now that I've turned the knife a few times. Um, because I look at the show notes and I'm thinking, gee, we can just distill almost all of that down to whatever you agree with the client that you can charge them for. But it, yeah, in, in the nutshell, it's charging for almost everything except for maybe the initial estimate. And I say maybe the initial estimate because it depends on how much effort's involved in the estimate. And if the estimate involves a lot of effort, tell the client up front. So in other words, negotiate it with the client that you will charge them for the estimate too. Um, but in a nutshell, it's everything: coding, you know, effort to, to code, meetings, and the phone, because that still takes up your time. That's time when you could be doing other stuff, um, and the, the estimation for the project. And then, so I'm remembering now from that from the the other podcast, the the, the non podcast podcast, uh, we ended up spending a lot of time discussing. Um, management effort in terms of the billability of that and travel time. I think right. that that was where we had a lot of our good discussion. Yeah, but but let's talk about this for a minute because I think a lot of people really miss kind of miss the the boat with um, the meetings and the other things that aren't coding. You know, they they forget to bill those or they don't think that they can. And and I just want to drive home the point that. If it's taking up time that you could be spending either, you know, doing other things or billing that client, if they're taking up your time, then that's billable time. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with your point, but I don't agree with like that. Like if it's taking up your time, that could just be because you're not good at managing your time. But the way I see it is if you're doing something that provides value for the client, that's billable. And so that's kind of my determination. Like if I'm spending three hours screwing around, you know, some bleeding edge library, that's more of my own time I'm screwing around with, not the client's Um, time. Unless for some reason they requested it instead of you choosing it. If you had, if, if you chose it and you had options that were, that were more efficient, if you didn't have options that were more efficient, you didn't really have a choice. Yeah, so it's not just a, a thing of like looking at your own like, oh, I'm working on this for a client, but I, instead I could be working on something billable for another one. Like that doesn't always mean that you should be charging the client. I mean, you could be building a relationship or doing other things, but I look at it as a value. And because all my stuff's project work, it's is this a value for the goals and the intention of the project? And so it's, they're kind of the same, but there's some kind of edge cases that you might run into of like, 
hmm, you know, I might be able to do something different here. And it's just, I look at the value part more. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I can agree with that. If you're, yeah, if you're adding can, value, definitely. I consider that sometimes too. If it's, if it's um, this is something that, that might be bleepable, but if it's basically a form of mental masturbation, then it's probably not adding value. And that's time I have avoided billing for in the past. Right. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know if we've talked about this. I'm just going to go real quick, but whenever I do one a project, I try to only do like one risky thing at a time. So maybe like everything is normal, stable stuff, but I might bring in like a new library or a new technique, you know, something to kind of maybe make the project better or be more efficient. And that way kind of, you know, make sure you're not just throwing in everything that's brand new and breaking everything. But it also means that you're just not using old technologies and ever learning. Well, that's um, a scientific approach to it, really, which is I think that's perfectly reasonable. I try to do that, too. Um, right. This is and OK. So, yeah, this is a little off topic, too. But what I also when I know about these risky areas up front, I usually try to stack all the risk early in the project. So I know if things are going to suck, I know early that they're going to suck. Yeah, and what I was going to so that do way is I can tell the customer. Yeah, I don't, to tie it into like with time is like, say I'm going to try a new database. You know, I might say this will take seven hours to do, but I might give them an extra hour or two for free, which is kind of the me getting in and kind of learning the basics and all that. So you know, you can. That's something you can also remember is a technique is if you're not sure if you can charge or not, you could try to assume you charge for everything and then come back and remove time later. Like, yeah, I'm not going to build them for that hour. I feel like I was wasting time. Yeah. Um, so do we, is, hold on a second. Do we? I don't remember if we talked about it, but if you remove time, tell your client that you removed. Right. Time. No, we talked yeah. about it in the last. We talked about it on the Lost podcast. Is that, and I forgot that if really it was. I, I forgot if it was here or if it was somewhere else. But I mean, that's positive karma and everything. No, else. You, it was something that you mentioned on the Lost podcast that was real. I thought was really cool, and that's if you do something good for the client. The, if you're basically giving them a gift, tell them you gave them a gift. Right. And, and I, I kind of like that idea, even if you are um, fiddling around with something new and then you discount the time because it wasn't, you know, well spent time. You can still tell them, look, I spent I spent six hours figuring out this database and I only built you for four. You know, even though you, you know, legitimately only added four hours of value, you still get, you know, the bonus points for giving them the extra two hours. Yeah, I like that. So one thing that I'm wondering, though, with what Eric said about, uh, you know, if you're playing with a new technology, you're trying it out, you're figuring out how it works, you know, that kind of thing. Um, if, if it does go smoothly, you know, so you sit down and you think, okay, well, I'll spend a couple hours figuring out this technology. Well, an hour later, it, it went real smoothly and you just got it in and, you know, you, you didn't uh, expend a lot of risk or whatever. Do you still feel good about billing that entire time? No, no. So for my example, say it's a, I said it's going to take six hours. If it only takes one hour, I bill them for one hour. And I tell mm-hmm. them like, hey, look, I saved five hours. This actually was what we thought. It did save right. us a bunch of time. And that those five hours will probably come out later in another feature that goes over or, you know, we'll have extra time at the end or something. Right. right. At the end of the day, it's you build them for time to work less, you know, amazing, risky stupidity on your part. Right. So you can also get get points for telling them that you save time by implementing some new technology. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the way I like to do that is, you know, you have that you have less time spent. And so therefore you actually finish the project early or like uh-huh. before their deadline. Say, hey, look, we're actually done. It's we have two days left. Uh, we can just cut it here and actually keep under budget or we can go up to our, our, our money budget. But actually, like 
add some more things that we took out or we actually didn't do. And so, you know, give them the choice of, you know, if they want to keep the extra cash or they want extra features or what, you know, maybe even launching early, depending on what it is. Right. I like that. And and I really like the fact that, you know, again, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're communicating the wins for them that you've um, brought about one way or the other. So um, one other thing that I want to uh, get into, and this is something we talked about last time, is uh, time managing subcontractors. Because, uh, I mean, it... It for me, it's kind of this gray area where basically, if if they came to me and they hired me to do, to just do the work, then I wouldn't spend any time managing subcontractors. So it it can be an extra cost for them. Is what do you guys think? I mean, is that something I should be billing for or shouldn't be billing for? Or I, th- I think the same thing I thought last time, and this comes back to me pretty easily. It's if they put if they gave you a project that you could never accomplish on your own, then you clearly have to have additional people to work on it. And therefore it's on them for it's on them to pay you for the time where you have to manage those additional people. If you took on a, if, if the project is, is small enough that you could be doing it on your own, but you choose to delegate it to someone else. So that way you can make additional money. Then it's your choice and not on them that you're doing that you're delegating that work. And I, I don't know for sure that I feel that I, I really have a strong feeling either way, but I feel like that's a that's a gray area in terms of billing for management time there. Right. I don't I don't I don't see it as much of a gray area. I mean, certainly the second case, the first case, I'll have to argue semantics. I mean, if it's, uh, we'll get to the first part in a, in a minute, I guess. But the second part, if you took on if you took on the contract just to sub it out you eat all your management time you eat all your review time i mean that's on you i mean if you wouldn't have to build that yourself if you were doing it yourself and you're hiring a sub then that's time you're figuring out if you know how to use savon or something and you're doing soap and the sub has no idea and he eats through 14 hours you have to spend a day with him to teach him, that's your fault. I mean, that my opinion. You have to, and, you have to suck uh, that I, up. And I think from last time, I generally agreed with that. The only, the only caveat that I added is if you can come to some understanding with the client beforehand that differs from that. Well, that's fine because whatever you and the client agree to. Is, is, is reasonable. But that said, if you don't have some prior understanding, I, I, I agree with you. Well, it's how you're representing yourself, too. I mean, if you're if I go out and win a project for $150 an hour and I find two subs for $45 an hour and try to bank an extra 60 bucks an hour, it's one thing if you're going to get a sub and manage the sub and make it more cost effective for the client. So the values there overall, you'll find somebody manage somebody that's maybe less expensive than you. But if you're passing off a rate that you would bill yourself at and you're giving it to a sub that's maybe not as skilled as you are, then I think you're responsible for making up that lack of skill. As I said, I tend to agree, but it also comes down to what you and the client agree on. If you if you tell the client that in managing this project, I'm going to bill for time I spend managing the project, then that's part of the agreement. That said, if you if you find yourself spending a lot of the client's money doing management, then you can expect the client probably won't be happy about it. So 
it can cut both ways. You can, if the client understands it, then then you can do it. If you exceed, if you violate the client's expectations, there are always going to be problems. And if you don't have any prior expectation, then I completely, totally, one hundred percent agree with you. Right. What about you, Chuck? Because I know you do subbing. So generally, I haven't been billing for um, for managing subcontractors unless it was something that I discussed with a client ahead of time. So for example, um, I have, let's see, I have my client projects written on the board here. So I have uh, two clients that I have subbed almost all of the work on lately um, to guys that I feel like are, you know, on the same level that I am or pretty close. Um, I generally won't hire a subcontractor that's way below where I'm at, even if they offer a really low rate, just because I'm more interested in providing the value to my clients. So under those conditions, at the same time, I'm, I mean, I'm usually making a, 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 not a ton, but a fair amount on, um, you know, over the rate that I'm getting billed by my subcontractors. And um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, under those conditions, if it's a project that they were just looking to have one freelancer work on, then yeah, I, I won't bill them for the, the, manage, the time managing those guys. But I have another client and he's actually talked to me about, you know, okay, well, we, we need to ramp up so that we can get this stuff done by this deadline. And, uh, you know, he's basically said you can hire subcontractors and, you know, we're eventually going to have to have a team of subcontractors under you that, uh, you know, is, is going to just build this whole app out and make all of these things work. And so on, under those conditions and in that case, you know, I've just let him know, yeah, so you're, you're paying me to be a project manager and a developer. And, okay. um, and so I am building him for any time that I spend um, working with the subcontractors as well as the time that I spend coding and uh, you know and the time I spend meeting with him and all of that other stuff as well but uh, really what it comes down to is um, that way I just I know I've got it you know I've got um, that covered and then he understands that that's that's what he's paying for is he's paying for me to be um, you know, kind of an overall architecture expert um, to manage the project and to write code for it. So well, I, th- I think you kind of said it there too. If the client, if the client's asking you to spend time doing something, mm-hmm. if it's if it's a requirement to the client, then they pay for it. Right. That that that's I think straight up and down. Yeah. Uh, on just about anything, now whether it's management or otherwise, if the client's asking you to do it, and and where the client specifically dictating you will do this, then you build them. Right. But at the same time, I think from here on out, I'm going to do more of the we and less of the I. In other words, I'm going to I'm basically going to say my team can handle this for you. And then, you know, I can I can bring in a subcontractor that's, you know, that I've worked with before on new contracts and uh, just basically let them know that the team is going to be handling it. And, you know, just set that expectation up front that, you know, hiring my team means that you're hiring me as a project manager and hiring me and possibly other guys to code and just just work that in. But then then the expectation is, is, okay, I'm getting all of Chuck's expertise as the project manager and, you know, whatever mentorship he has to give to these uh, other developers. And then, you know, I'm getting, you know, top notch coders that he's hired that can do the work and do it well. But again, it's about setting the client expectations and making sure that they understand and look, this is how I operate, and this is what you're paying for. And then here's one thing I want to say, because I don't do very much, like, I don't hire many contractors at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you, depending on what contracts you're getting, like, so I do mostly development. Uh, if, I, if the client needs a designer, sometimes instead of me subcontracting a designer to do design, I'll tell the client, hey, it would be helpful if you had a designer on this project. I'd recommend these people. I let the client hire them. So it's, you just, it's two contractors working under the client and you just work back and forth with them. 
And I've done that quite a bit. I actually found that's really easy because the client then handles that person costs too much, that person's too little, they're not, you know, they're not showing up on time. You know, all of the the different headaches with that and I don't have to worry about it. So that's that's another option you can do depending on how you feel about managing people or your risk or all that. Well the other the flip side of that is it also it, the in terms of your stress level on a given project, if you don't feel that the client is good at managing people, you might want to do it yourself just because you're convinced you'll do a better job of it, and overall your stress level will be reduced. Because if you think your client can, can barely handle managing, or you can barely handle managing him, and vice versa, um, and he wants to go hire someone else, it might be worth your time and effort to get that someone else yourself. Yeah, I, I think it depends. It depends on all, right. all the people involved, including the the designer and the client and uh, you know, just how that, the, that or those relationships will work. So one thing that uh, one of you guys brought up was travel. Yeah. Um, so do you bill for travel time? Uh, it depends. And I do, I've done quite a bit of business travel and I've done it admittedly um, because I like to do it by degrees. I say by degrees, mm-hmm. not always, but often. And it usually starts with my seeing an opportunity to make the client's life better if I go out on site and help them for some finite period of time. So often what will happen is I'll suggest that I can come out and visit if they think it would be helpful. So I initiate it. Because I initiate it, I don't usually feel good about having them pay for my time to travel out there, but I have them pay the expense of the trip and pay for the uh, you know, pay for the the airfare, hotels, meals, and whatnot while I'm there, and obviously my hours when I'm working. Um, and when I'm not working, it's just on my time. When I'm the discussion that that Jeff and I had in the lost episode was, what about that time spent on a plane? That's time where you're you're utterly constrained. You can't do anything really because you're on a plane. You know what about that? Um, I, I still tend to fall back on if the client dictates that I shall come out and visit them, then they can pay for it. They can pay for all. They can pay for all my travel time. If I'm volunteering, if I instigate and suggest I can come out and visit, then I'm volunteering. They're not requiring it. I feel like there should be some compromise there. That makes sense. Um, so basically, you you would bill for the time if the travel is obligatory, and yes. I would bill for the travel time uh, if it was obligatory and if it's something I instigated and not obligatory, but some but they agree that'd be beneficial. Then I usually I have not in the past billed for that time, and I tend to feel better about it that way. Yeah, I was talking to David Brady. I think it was at RailsConf, and he mentioned that uh, when he was uh, doing the commuting to L.A. He would get on the plane. Um, they were paying for his commuter flights back and forth um, between L.A. and Salt Lake. And um, what would happen is he would actually then, you know, pay to get upgraded to first class because I guess it wasn't very much to, to pay the difference on that particular flight. Sometimes, yeah. And uh, it was well worth it for him to pay that difference because, because he'd get a little bit more room. But then um, it was also worth it to him because he would sit on the plane and work on their code right. while flying. Right, and then the time. Right, and, 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 and that's... That's what I, I w- I've done that on a rare occasion. I often use I would use points to do it sometimes, or now I get status upgrades because I've flown so much. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I also bought so similarly, I bought a MacBook Air, an 11 inch MacBook Air specifically because that way I can actually fit in the economy class and get work done if I have to. And not only is the MacBook Air paid for itself, but I've made I've profited off of it because. I could fit on a plane in Econo or first class and I could still get work done if I want to. Right. So I have the option then to do billable work, which I wouldn't otherwise. But that's, again, that's entirely my choice there too. 
Right. So um, if you're work, so here's the question then: if you're if you're traveling and the travel is obligatory, so you would you would bill for the travel time anyway, and then you wind up working on the plane, do you wind up double billing? Or if you wind up working for another client on the plane, do you bill the one client that's paying you to travel and the other client that you're working for? Or is because because to me that seems a little bit unethical. I mean, because then you're effectively taking that time and repurposing it to somebody else. Um, yeah, I I hadn't thought about that because I haven't been in a position to do that. I really don't know for sure. Um, I probably would 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 tend to shun working on the plane if I'm already traveling because they made me do it. Right. Because traveling can be stressful enough anyway, even if you're lucky enough to be flying first class. Um, that is, I don't usually like working on the plane that much unless I'm really that involved in my work. Right. So it just hasn't been that much of an issue for me. Lately, when I've been traveling, I haven't been coding when I've been traveling. Right. I haven't been coding while I'm flying, that is. Yeah, that makes sense. So I don't have a good answer for that. I just don't know. Yeah. So one other thing I want to ask about then is, should you be billing for things like uh, the time you spend sending them invoices or, you know, doing some of the other, you know, behind the scenes business stuff that's related to their project, but isn't exactly part of the project? Nope. Yeah. For me, I mean, it comes back like if I send them an invoice, does that actually give them value for their project? Right. Probably not. I mean, if I'm... (laughs) What was the other thing? It you know. lets them pay you. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're taking I mean, value at that point. You're yeah, extracting value. I also talked like... Well, you're facilitating the exchange of value is the way I would like to put that. <laughs> Fine, but that's not adding value at that point, right. really. Yeah, I, I would like to see you put that on your invoice and charge it for it and see what they say. Facilitating <laughs> value. 0.25 hours. You're right. It doesn't even take yeah. that long as the invoice usually. So the bottom of the invoice, this invoice was generated in 6.5 seconds for the total cost of $42.29. Well, more seriously, if you have subcontractors, I mean, I've been here before, you end up reviewing their timesheets before you send an invoice, but but that's that's totally on you at that point. Yep. You have the subcontractors, you're invoicing for them, so you want to ensure the quality of their invoicing, so that that's cost of doing business there. Right. I mean, another way to think about it is most people, they, you know, you're hired by the client and the job that you do is a project manager or a developer or a designer or, you know, these certain types of jobs. When you're sending invoices, you're doing the job of an accountant. You know, accountant is typically back office type stuff. If you're mm-hmm. looking at um, contractor pays, oh, what, timesheets and stuff, that's, you know, accounts, what, payable? Yeah, accounts payable. So Back office, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, what job, what hat do I have on as a business owner, as a freelancer yeah. right now? And is this something that's like client facing or is this kind of an internal thing? And mm-hmm. that could be another thing. I like that. Right. I, I'm just trying to find all of like the edges, you know, and, and the different extremes. And so I could see somebody like nickel and diming for every little minute they spend. Well, on things you're, and- you're, you're close to an edge there, though. And this is something that I think we might have talked about previous podcast a little bit um invoicing i don't feel like that should be billable at all because that's a back office thing but is but emailing as soon as you're having a discussion with a client because um, emailing feel can feel a little close to invoicing because it's you know async it's not a a meeting as such but if you're investing time communicating with the client then cons- then you're probably adding value um, I think it's worth considering, is this, is this a cost of doing business? Is this a back office related email? As Eric said, I think, again, I think it's a really good metaphor. I'm going to try to mm-hmm. use that. Or is this, is this a value related discussion for their business? And if it's the latter, then you should be billing for it. If it's the former, you shouldn't. And one thing we didn't say this up front, a, a lot of these are opinions and a lot of these are like, these are flexible things that are going to change. I mean, 
on the extreme case, if you bill for everything, like, I mean, you, you wake up and scratch your ear and think about the client and decide to bill that minute. Yeah, you might get more money in the short term, but in the long term, you're going to piss off clients and they're going right. to get rid of you or you're going to change your policies. And on the other stream, if you don't bill for anything, you're obviously not running a business. Get paid. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. this goes to what I was saying earlier in the podcast that whatever you negotiate with the client is is viable. But even if it's something you negotiate with the client, they're probably going to realize some of these things. Um, like above that seem above and beyond really are above and beyond and they won't like you for it later. Right. I, I really, so, really want to see that invoice with ear scratching as a line item. Or butt scratching as a line item. But that, <laughs> there you go. Well, but I mean, as a practical point, a lot of, a lot of time I do when coding is thinking about the problem. And I think about the problem at night. I yeah. think about the problem in the shower sometimes. Like mm-hmm. I don't build a client for that. I mean, but you know, if you really think about it, get really hard nose about it, this is the policy. Like, it, I mean, it can get into a really sketchy area. And yeah, that like was, I said, you that could piss good, off clients. That was yeah. a good edge case where we d- we discussed this one on, on, again on that last podcast. If you're sitting down and dedicating time to thinking about a problem for the client, that's one thing that should be billable. Mm-hmm. If it's you know idle thought about the project that just happens, that's not intent driven. We think about random stuff throughout the day. You can't really bill them for time your subconscious mind is churning on things and happens to throw ideas you know into the main event loop as such. So you can't you shouldn't be billing them for that. I mean you could, as Eric said, but that just seems silly. I want a driver for my subconscious that tells me when I'm working on client stuff and, yeah, and, and then hook it into my time great. tracking. I want, up, I want a heads up display that shows H top for my subconscious mind. There you yes. go. Okay, I, Dave Brady, make it happen. <laughs> if I knew what that thing was doing, I'd be scared. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, yeah, come to think of some of the dreams I've had, I agree with you. Oh, man. Yeah. So um, another thing that comes up that that I've seen people, you know, debate over whether or not they should bill for is, for example, I had a client that would fly out from Ohio every so often. Now, granted, he was doing that as much to see his grandkids that live out here as he was to come see me. He just would come see me because then he could charge it to his debit card and write the whole trip off. Uh, sure. It, it makes sense to me, right? You know, he's that's coming a, out to see that's me. That's a valid tax deduction. Oh, absolutely. It's it's like me going to this conference in Hawaii. Um, I'm yeah. going to be speaking at Aloha Ruby. I'm taking my wife. But uh, yeah, so we're writing off the hotel, my airfare, you know, as much as we can. The better ones, you're going on vacation somewhere, but you, then you go to a Ruby user group. Well, I think that whole vacation now becomes deductible at that point. I did that. I went to Denver with my wife for a, 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 a anyway, one of the, one of our, uh, close friends their daughter was baptized and so we went out there to to that and then i wound up having lunch with um fernand galliana i don't know if you guys know him oh yeah out, out okay. in denver and then um i also went to the boulder ruby users group and so yeah we wrote the trip off cool because I did the same thing yeah because uh, you know i was out there i was doing work related stuff and uh you know so that that paid off there but um anyway if if you're uh, having lunch with your client let's say um oh do, this one yeah. do, you, do you bill for that time do you bill for all the time i mean if you're sitting there and and chatting about stuff related to the project for half the time and then yeah, you're that. just chatting for half the time do you just bill half the time or is it a business is it a business value related discussion is it bullshitting about the business you know is, is it basically chit chat or is it real business and if it's chit chat no if it's if it's you know building if it's relationship building no if it's adding value to their project yes what what if they're kind of intermingled between the two do you just kind of give your best guess that's what i would do 
Yeah, I mean, I very rarely go on site and very rarely travel. So most of the time when I do, I don't bill for it just because it's like, I don't do it very often. It's even if I did get some value from it, it's not very much. Um, but yeah, I know some people that will charge for like half of the time there or they'll try to like kind of account for it and say, well, 20, 30%. I was mm -hmm. talking to them about their project. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a judgment thing and that might yeah. be something the client fights, especially if they have a lot, like, that's the other thing we didn't talk about. If they're meeting with you every day about this and yeah. it ends up you're spending like 80% of your time talking to them about the project, that could be kind of an issue too. Sure. Yeah. yeah it, it's it. And then I was, as I said, yes, I would consider doing it that way. Then I thought in retrospect, when I have been on site and I have had lunch meetings with clients, I think as a general rule, I have tended toward avoiding billing for discussions that have occurred over lunch. I think it's only the discussion, the lunch discussion or the meal discussions where they are the vast majority is business focused. Not trying to prevaricate, just remembering previous experiences. Um, if there's only a little teeny bit of business discussion, then I've usually not billed that time. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's not it's not a hard and fast thing. It, it, it tends to vary, but I tend toward not billing it unless it's most of the time and, and occasionally going the other way. Right. I could see it also being you would bill for it if it's like with like a working lunch where it's like they bring in catering or something and you're still at their office going on the whiteboard or whatever while right. everyone's eating. Well, like I could see that because it's your kind that's of a meeting essentially. Yeah. 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 I've done those food. too and I ha I have done those and I have billed for those. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. So the other thing that, that comes up um, is sometimes you wind up paying for things. Now, usually I try and get the clients to pay for things, but every once in a while I wind up paying for them. For, so things like uh, fonts or stock images, um, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, maybe a, a HTML layout or something. I mean, I usually try and get them to buy it and then send me the, the right. hard copies, but or hard copies, I guess they're not really hard copies, they're files, but you know, you kind of get the idea there. Um, but if so you pay for those, let's generalize a little assets and services. They're, they they tend to be related, although services are stickier. Well, um, and also, is it a one-time or reoccurring? Like that's right, the big thing. Right. That when I when I said services, in fairness, yes, you could say one. You could boil it down to one time or recurring. Uh, I'm totally with you. I always prefer the client buy things over me having to do it because then I have to expense it to them. Um, so there's that. Um, for for materials, I need to perform their project that are unique to their project. They need to be paying for those. For recurring expenses, I would almost always, 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 always push like hell to get the client to pick those up. For services especially, and this is something we talked about on the Billing Time podcast, I think, um, last time, was um, like hosting especially. It's not something I would even bother trying to get into where I wouldn't want to pay for their Heroku account or if I was working with a client where they were doing a VPS-based deploy to some kind, deploy to some kind that is, I wouldn't try to bill them for hosting and pay for their VPS because, as Jeff pointed out back then, and completely agree, it only takes one trouble call to blow, out, blow away any profit you would have made off of that. Just If not then, there's just the headache that goes with it too. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I ran into with uh, one of my clients. I was actually, I actually had his stuff on my VPS and, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I'll tell you what what happened was um, he had a few he had a few people that he wanted to try out his stuff. And I was like, OK, that's fine. Well, then he started adding more and more people to, you know, trying out his app on my server. And uh, at the same time, you know, I had my other websites on there that were also gaining traffic and gaining traction. And um, so eventually it just kind of overloaded the server and, you know, it kind of blew up, you know, it, it, it would go down every so often. And so eventually I had to move him off and, you know, just said, hey, look, you know, can you find another place to host this? I will happily help you set it up, um, you know, make it so you can deploy to that. And, um, you know, and, and it took a huge headache off of me. And so, yeah, I, I just tend to not really want to do that anymore just because it does turn into a headache. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of what I do. So I will, I'll research what the client should buy. Like, hey, I think this is a better value than this one, and this is probably how much you need. But I, yeah. like, ninety nine percent of the time, have them buy it. Or if it's a one time thing, I might buy it and expense it. But I don't think I've done that for a couple of years now. Yeah. And reoccurring stuff, I like, I don't do it. I don't. I I used to kind of like, oh yeah, I have some extra capacity on this server. But like you were talking about, that's just that's a headache waiting to happen and. As soon as I get the client on the server, I want to get them off of it as soon as possible, just because it's like, you know, 2 a.m. support calls and stuff like that. So, that, I mean, if you don't get into hosting and you like you start freelancing, you don't get into hosting. That's probably the best thing to do. Like, it, don't look at it as passive revenue or, you know, extra money per month because it's not. Unless you're at 100 employees, thousands of server scale, and at that point, mm-hmm. you're not a freelancer. You're a hosting company. Yep. And brief tangent there is a general rule based on one thing Eric just said there. Generally, if you're researching something that's going to add value for the client or that may add value for the client, you probably should be billing them for that too. Right. Just wanted to make sure that was out there. Research time counts too. So yeah, um, just not, off that, also prototypes. If you research yes. and like, I don't know which one to use, ask the client, talk to them and ask for like an hour or two to prototype it and get a better idea. And most right. clients will be fine with that because you're saying like, I'd rather spend two hours figuring out which one to use now than 16 hours to use the wrong one and have to throw it away later. So this this is sort of a general point or not specific to the billing time, but I, I will often present my clients with trade-offs and, and suggestions and say, well, we could do X or Y. I think you know X will take you know Z amount or A amount of time, Y will take B amount of time. But yes, also you could suggest, I'm not really sure I could prototype it, which I think might take C amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then, it, then you're giving them control and you're communicating to them and clients generally like that. Right. So what, um, what other, I, I want to go back to services real quick. Are there any other services other than hosting that you guys can think of that, you know, you, you want to, uh, you know, you want to make them sign up for oh, everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what yeah domains. No, no domains, for- no, yeah. Anything that you have to go back a year or two later and do yourself. So SSL yeah, certificates. SSL certificates was going to be the next thing out of my mouth. <laughs> Another good way to look at it is like, you're working with a client right now, you have a great relationship. What happens if three months, if something goes wrong and you guys yes. break up, yes. you know, are you going to have to say, hey, your domain's going to you know, fall out of renewal in nine months and are they already like blacklisting your email so they're never going to see it? Right. So any, that's right. what I said. One-time things are fine. Reoccurring stuff, you want them to handle it because... It, you know, you guys, you might not be client freelancer relationship in the future. 
Right. right. I, so, I think yeah. that's that's a brilliant way of putting it because we're not getting married to our clients. I mean, if becoming a full-time employee isn't a marriage, then being a freelance, you know, working freelance for someone is pretty far from marriage. So you need to be looking at short, short-term commitments only in terms of what things you'll 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 buy or or pay for on behalf of the client, and totally not sign up for any of the long-term stuff because you always run the risk of what happens. Even if you end, things end well, you don't want to have to be able to frequently context switch or occasionally context switch for multiple clients just to resolve some little thing for them because that, that, that will detract from your work for your current clients for one thing. It makes you less productive. It's a pain in the ass. And then there's always the what if things end badly. You really just don't want to have any relationship with them whatsoever. Right. It makes sense. Now, there are a few services that I've set up for clients where I don't make them pay for it. I don't charge them for it. And most of the time, it's Pingdom or Monogios. It's kind of like monitoring stuff. Mm-hmm. And the reasons I do that is I set them up. Not It's for the client benefit in the end, but it's really for me to know if stuff's going wrong. And, you know, they, they might get an alert, but most of the time, I'm the one that gets an alert. And I'm told, like server went down or the server starting to slow down and so i can actually be responsive and so it looks better on me that i'm actually you know being proactive about things and so those kind of services i don't typically charge for um you know if the client directly asks for it then i say yeah you could sign up i'll set it up for you type thing right but the the trade-off is is that you know as soon as they are no longer your client then you're not going to be monitoring or paying attention to it anymore and and they understand that as well yeah, so, or or if like the service just isn't providing value anymore, I just delete it. I don't need to tell the client I deleted it. It's just yeah, it didn't work out type idea. Right. Yeah, and that makes sense. I, I have to say that I'm still getting emails from New Relic every week about one of my clients. Yeah, that, I get that too. And uh, I actually emailed them and I said, Hey, do you want these reports? Because it, it's the free account, so it's not hurting me at all. But I'm just like you, you know, you might be interested in this stuff because I mean, I'm not working on this right now, and so obviously I'm not, you know, I'm not super in- engaged with it. But, you know, you want you might want to know what New Relic is seeing. And so, you know, I need to change the email on that account. But yeah, New Relic's actually pretty neat. I have my main account. And then what I do is each client makes their own and then they add my main account to theirs. And by doing that, I can actually control say, like, I don't want notifications or I don't want this. And so I've actually been able to go in. I was getting like 20 every week of like how your app performance was. And I was able to turn it off. And so it's only my current clients and then my own servers. So that's for New Relic, like have them sign up or sign up for them an mm-hmm. account. And then, you know, I think it's like sharing or linking it or whatever. And that way you can still get the information, but you don't have to worry about all the notifications or the billing or if you guys part ways or anything. Right. That it's makes trickier. sense. It's trickier, I think, when you're using Heroku, I, I think. I can't yeah. remember. Because yeah, Heroku, I think they give you one contact you can email that they can email, and that's it. Well, I think the problem with it depends on how you're using it on Heroku. If you're using the free add-in, then they have some behind-the-scenes based on the app ID or something that it creates automatically inside New Relic. But you can, I think, you can override the config. It's been a while, but I yeah, think you can override yeah. the config. Yeah, I think you can override the config on just about everything on Heroku if you really want to. Well, just New Relic gets especially confusing because it seems like they change their offerings on an almost an annual basis. <laughs> so I keep forgetting you know, which settings you can change when because I've been using it off and on for years. Yep. 
but yeah i i i really i really like some of those and in the free services it's not as much of a big deal because i mean you know if if you're getting those reports you can just turn it off if if the client relationship goes away so one other thing that that we talked about last time that i want to bring up is um if if you're waiting for them to call you and they miss the call oh do you do you bill them for time that they essentially wasted jeff if you please yeah i do i do Do you have a rule of thumb for that? I mean, do you just wait around for a certain amount of time? Do you email them during that time and say, hey, you're 10 minutes late. Are you coming? I mean, how how do you usually deal with that? And how much do you usually bill them for for that? Uh, I think I I don't know if I have a hard and fast rule. I would say probably 15 minutes. I mean, uh, I might give them five minutes or 10 minutes to show up, but they're getting billed for 15 minutes or whatever. The loss of time to sit around and wait for the phone call and then figure out what to do next basically because they're not showing up but i mean that's just one of my huge pet peeves it's just lack of respect from the client to not show not to show for an appointment that whoever scheduled but certainly if they scheduled it and i'm dropping everything to be there they had better be there too damn it jeff's in a good mood today there wasn't much vitriol in his discussion of his pet peeves i love it when he talks about his pet peeves Here's the pet peeve I have. If you call someone and don't leave a voicemail, you can just assume you did not call that person. I pissed off at people who call me. I've had someone who called me three times in a row and wouldn't leave a voicemail. And I was on the other line. I couldn't actually pick up. And I'm just like, that's that's irritating. And I've actually had a couple people call me and I've turned them down as clients because of that habit. Oh wow! Well, we I should mean, we should a, have an a, episode client pet peeves. Yeah, I mean, it's I, a huge I, I like that one. <laughs> we should have an episode client pet peeves. Yeah, that's a that should be the next one. That's a good one. Leaves the toilet seat up. I'm pretty much with Jeff I think on the I'll wait up to 15 minutes except on the rare occasion where I'll wait longer it's it's not exactly a rule of thumb but generally speaking yes I build them for the time that I'm waiting Um, that's because if if we had agreed on a time there's an expectation that we'll both be available to discuss something at a particular time then I expect them to be there because I I allocated the time for it too The, the point is I allocated the time so I'm not doing something else I could be doing therefore i should be billing them for it yep and that's i have kind of a more policy about it it's you know i almost always call the client like on the dot like punctually like you know according to you know whatever the time is time might be off but i call them on the dot leave them a voicemail i'll wait five maybe ten minutes and then i'll email them and say hey i just called you left you a voicemail about the meeting you know we're talking about this go and give me a call back and i put my phone number in there too just in case and then I'll bill them for 15 minutes because that's like my increment. If they don't call back, then I move on to the next thing. And then the only, meeting, they call back later? Yeah, yeah, or we reschedule yep. or something. The only exceptions when I don't bill is if it's like an emergency. Like I had one client where his child was like really sick and he was like on call like throughout the night type idea. So he missed a meeting. I'm like, you know, that's fine. We, we have a, long good, a long-term relationship. We're good. I'm just going to not bill him for it. I can understand. And I think the other time I don't is technical problems. So I have a, I have a client in Switzerland. It's hard for him to call me. The time difference is, it's a whole bunch of things. And so most of the time, if he misses a meeting, I won't bill him because it's probably like, you know, it's probably something weird going on and we'll meet up later too. And, but once again, that's a, a couple year relationship we had there. And so, you know, that's, that's the big thing. It's like, if you guys mm-hmm. have the trust built up, you can kind of be right. things. 
Yes. Yes. I just want to just underscore that point too is, is be understanding because you know, you're ultimately maintaining a relationship and if you can maintain a good relationship, then you maintain a good client relationship and, and that just helps your business overall. But I think I'm, I'm totally with Eric on this. It's also a good barometer is what's the overall nature of the relationship? Is this a, is this a fairly solid relationship? Is this a nascent relationship? You know, is this a new client? Um, it, there's a huge difference. If I have a new client, if I have a new client who's routinely late to meetings, like more than 15 minutes, to me that is, and this could be a whole, this could be part of the client pet peeves. To me, that's a client smell. We that's a no longer smells. client. That, well, okay, so Jeff would fire that client right away. Oh, I don't, I don't fire him right away, but I've went through this a few times on Twitter. I mean, when it happened a couple of times to me. What do you call a client that's 15 minutes late for an appointment uh, again? And five or six replies that not a client or something. But I mean, I, it, yeah, life happens. I agree, yes. life happens. But if there's it's little things, and if you're gonna screw with me on little things like showing up on time for an appointment, then you're gonna screw with me on big things. So right, and that's that's kind of where I was going. When I said it's a client smell. Well, then so continue. The, on, on the rare occasion, the because every client, every person has their own unique flaws. Except for Eric, he's flawless. Um, but every yep. every person's got their their own unique flaws. It's possible, although I'm not sure I've had this. It's possible you have a client who will be late for meetings, but in every other way is a good client. I don't think it's very likely, but I'm I have to, to think back to see if I've had that before. I think maybe I have. Yeah, I've um, had one. And because there's some clients you know who are, are are good clients, but they just aren't with it in a few ways. And either you can put up with it or you can't. But it's a smell. It's an indication that there very well may be something wrong. Um, and that, that's where I'm going with that. I don't decide necessarily that just because the clients routinely late to meetings that they're going to be a terrible client, but it makes me very suspicious if it's a new relationship. If it's a long-standing relationship and the client's late a few times, no big thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like a bank account. I mean, over time, the yes. client builds up trust and, you know, they might build up trust in the communication account. And, you know, if they're late, you, you withdraw some you know money from that. And then over time, you're going to figure out like, okay, this guy's really good at communication. I can cut him some slack on this. And- well, that's a seven habits um, almost metaphor. It's, there, it's a relationship relationship account. I don't think it's just a communication account. And because the communication could be kind of poor, but if the relationship is really solid, then that might not matter as much. Because I mean, if the relationship is solid both ways, then clearly you're finding value more than just money in maintaining the relationship. So you're getting, you must be getting work done for that client, or you're probably getting work done, assuming you care about getting work done, which most of us do, that you're still getting work done for that client despite whatever problems are occurring in the communication. So then that's not necessarily a big deal. But it's if that balance is already low and then they're withdrawing from it by being late to meetings, or if the balance was they never had a chance to grow and they're they have foibles already, like showing up late to meetings, then you or quickly end up in the, in the yeah. Then you end up with, with in the red with bad credit. Mm-hmm. And and I've had a few clients like that lately, and and they did not last as clients. You still have a bad headache? No, it's it's pretty much gone. I, I took some medicine for it, but oh, the, we weren't the cure. Man. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I have to say that those tension headaches typically wipe me out for the rest of the day. So I'm 
I'm probably gonna, probably going to be dragging for the rest of the day, but that's life. Just go to sleep. Well, and that's actually a good point. Is we'll make it quick, but if you're sick and billing for time, when I when I'm sick or not feeling 100, percent like that's one of those cases where I comp them a bunch of time. Like I might work eight hours for a project, but I'm only going to bill them for three or four. You know, depending on how I feel about it. Yeah. So it's kind of like a partial half-ass type thing. And that that's where. I, I would actually say it depends. I've told clients when I'm, when I'm I, that I try not to work and I don't want to work when I'm not optimal. Um, and if I know I'm not going to be optimal, usually I'll stop working. If the client tells me they want me working whether I'm optimal or not, it's on them then. But, yeah. I, I, but I make it very clear to them, I'm working this amount of time and only this amount of time because I feel like what I'm delivering to you degrades after this time and I don't want to do that. If they really want that extra time anyway, I, I build them for that time because they've they've gone into it understanding full well. Yeah, I, I make it very clear to them. Yeah. yeah, and that's I almost always try to take time off if I don't feel good or yeah, you too. know I I limit the amount of time I work in a day so I don't get you know dead tired at the end of it. But you know sometimes there's you know external deadlines and stuff you have to deal with and or someone's waiting on something and so that's, right. it's just mentioning it like getting sick that's something to watch for and one technique you can do is to you know make them make the client say yeah. Yeah, we want you to work on this. Another one is to you work on it. Let them know you're not as efficient and don't bill for all the time. And tell them you're not billing for all the time too, so they know. Like we talked I, about I, earlier. I've got, got another fun one that I think all three of you guys don't do, and I think and I usually do. It's the get let yourself get enough sleep. Damn it! Yeah. Get, get your eight hours of sleep every night for goodness' sake. Then you will tend to feel better and work more efficiently and not get sick as often. Okay, I'm done ranting about that now. Well, it's it. I think you make a valid point, though, that, uh, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not, you know, exercising or eating right or <laughs> sleeping enough or, you know, whatever it is, I, you know, you, you, you're not you're not your best. You're not on top of your game. And, you know, it, it, you really do wind up paying for it one way or the other. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the picks. Eric, what are your picks? OK, so my pick this actually it's not from Evan, but Evan gave me the idea. Uh, he was talking about game development a while ago. I think or like Monday or something this week. And so oh. I like playing like simulation games and stuff like that. And I've all, I was complaining that I wish there was like a game where you pretend you're running a business and you kind of do stuff in the business, like, you know, new marketing thing, bring out new products, that sort of idea. And just, I went searching on the Googles and found, a, it's an iPhone game, but it also, there's an Android version. It's called Game Dev Story. I knew you were going to call that, cite that one. That's a great game. <laughs> yeah, I, love I mean, <laughs> it's basically you own a uh, video game company and you, you, you can do PC games and you basically start with a small staff, you make games, they get reviewed, advertising but it, Dude, the watch out. that game is portable crack beware yeah, I know, I, know. <laughs> I, the, I have been up late in the night playing that game yeah that, and I think it's funny you were talking about sleep earlier I was up to I think 1.30 last night playing it oh is that all <laughs> yeah well, but the thing is, if you look at it, the graphics don't look that great, but it actually, it actually yeah. looks like an, kind of like a, a eight, eight or 16 bit game, but the gameplay in it is amazing. Like it's, yes. you will be playing it for hours. The, on the iPhone, there's a light version you can play for, I think it's like two years of game time. And that's enough to pretty much figure out the basics of the game. Totally so addicted. that's, that's my pick, uh, game dev story. I'll give the iTunes link and then there's an Android version too. We can get up to. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic pick. Good game. Awesome. Is that all you got, Eric? Yeah, I'm okay. trying to keep it to one right now. Okay. <laughs> oh, he's trying to keep it to one. <laughs> Evan, what are your picks? Uh, uh 
oh right I, I almost forgot what my pick was and then I went to my chair and I remembered so uh, lately I've been pretty hooked on Zay Frank's A Show so not, this sounds all entertainment-y but there's actually a little bit more than that the first episode for me is I found inspiring as a business person I don't dare I say entrepreneur um, Zay Frank is his way of channeling angst into humor and at the same time to me I find uh, motivating and inspiring then the first episode is entirely all about that where he's he's venting about his his fears and and concerns about whether he can whether he can actually start and continue running a show again and it, it's great he has a poster there's a poster that that someone made of his rant during that episode just went and bought that poster it, it's just go watch the first episode you might not like it Eric doesn't I love it it's it's terrific stuff I'll li- I'll have it in the show notes a link to it all right I think it's also in iTunes as a podcast so oh yeah probably <clears throat> all right Just get obsessed so yeah it's probably a podcast is is that everything for you uh, yeah I only had one this week I, I had another one I forgot it right before we started talking and it never came back all right cool um Jeff what are you picks? slackers slackers all right, I'm gonna do uh, picks from last the last time just because they're still valid picks plus uh uh, a new one. So uh, there's the um, Matchamel. He has an iPad 3 Retina display lock screen, basically a PSD that you can edit, put your name and contact info on. So if you lose your iPhone, or in this case, iPad 3, and the person that finds it is not a crook, maybe <laughs> they can contact you and get it back to you. Uh, the second one is Chronomate. It's um, a Mac app that hooks into FreshBooks and handles, uh, it just handles time tracking. Plus, it does default billing. So, if you do 10 minute, 15 minute increments, then when you log your time, it'll automatically round up if you want to do that. It's fairly cool. I hate web interfaces for most of that stuff because it's not always up. Uh, third one's Equilibrium, the movie. We talked about it last time because oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Evan was on Avengers. The- which okay, I, I seen, didn't but... mention that pick, but from from the the lost episode, yeah, the Avengers movie. If you're a comic book nerd, go see it. Enough said. So Equilibrium is mine. Uh, the last one from last week, and then this one, this week, sort of following along the same game development train that everybody else is on. This book, uh, Sean Inman, he wrote uh, Gitament and Feet of Fever, whatever. A bunch of I think they were PHP. Apps, uh, Gitament is um, server stats or whatever, and Feed of Fever is RSS reader. But then they, he got into game development and he kept a diary of it. And so the book is called Liftoff. It's the last rocket development di- diary. And it's iOS. Uh, it's an iOS game and sort of his story creating it. And so I bought it and I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But Wait, it's, it's 10 a book bucks. or it's a game? He wrote a game and kept a diary of making the game. So it's like a behind the scenes for the game. And the book is called Liftoff? The book is called Liftoff. The game is called The Last Rocket. Ah, got it. 
I guess so, I have to read that. Yeah, I picked it up. I mean, I love, I'm voyeuristic about people's process and stuff like that, so it sort of well, fits very nicely. I'm actually trying to, the reason I've been talking about game dev is I'm finally jumping into, I, I, I guess I would say hobbyist for now, just because I'm, it's very nascent in it. I haven't really started writing anything. I'm learning a lot, but I'm reading three different books on different aspects of game development at the same time at the moment. <laughs> so I'm kind of and getting what are those deep books into called? Uh, yeah, I guess fine. So I can, I guess I can throw those in as picks too. So I'm reading um, a a wiki book. This seems to have been a good find for Blender 3D, which is an open source. Um, I guess I should probably link to Blender too. An open source uh, 3D um, modeling and animation tool. It's called Blender from Noob to Pro, and you know it's a wiki book, so it's entirely free. It seems pretty solid. Um, I am reading a book on Unity 3D, which is a multi-platform game engine. Um, I've been looking into Unity, not specifically because it's multi-platform, but because of its popularity, because of its renowned accessibility and feature richness. And um, and I've also read that it's really good at supporting um, mods, uh, which is you know for those people who aren't necessarily gamers, modifications to the game by um, users, for example, so people can extend the game. And also, I guess this isn't a book. I've actually been reading. I've been going through the tutorials on the Pixelmator website because I don't have Photoshop. I do have Pixelmator, and I'm starting to realize how many incredible things it can do that I had no clue about in all the time I've had Pixelmator. Because I need a I need a two D tool in order to draw textures. I need a three D tool for modeling. I need an I need an engine because I'm not writing my own. Um, the engine provides physics and three D rendering and hooks for AI and to manipulate or place objects. Uh, other sh- okay, other stuff. I don't know. I almost said a word I'm not supposed to in the podcast. Um, and um, so far, I'm learning a lot, and my head hurts, and I'll have links to all this stuff. You have some weird sensor triggers. <laughs> you can have lunch when you're bullshitting with a client, but you can't. Say <laughs> shit. But you can't say shit now. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, you're right. I didn't say that. I mean, I did say that earlier, didn't I? And I missed yes. it. And I caught myself saying shit. Early when I'm talking about this stuff. Yes, I have weird triggers in general. How about that? <laughs> okay, so then I guess I went from one pick to I lost track of how many, at least three. One, two, three, four, five, six, I, yeah. seven. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll jot them all down in the chat while you're knocking off yours, Chuck. All right, cool. So I'm going to pick the, the same ones I had last time. Um, for Ruby Rogues, we're actually reading um, Working with Unix Processes by Jesse Stormer. Um, it's actually a really short book, and it basically goes into the the Unix uh, process management uh, kernel stuff, the, the different commands that you can use there, like fork and uh, stuff like that, how that all works. And then it also discusses the the interfaces that Ruby gives you to those different um, those different processes, those different commands. And then um, the other one that I've been reading lately is Rich Dad Poor Dad by uh, Robert Kiyosaki, and uh, it's kind of an interesting book. Um, I like kind of the story format that was there at the beginning. I'm not sure I completely 100% agree with everything he says, but it at least makes you think hard about what you know what he's saying and what the important things are for you to 
to know about um, what are assets and what are um, liabilities and and how you know how you should build wealth and things like that. So um, it's it's really interesting. I've actually been reading it with a group of guys from the podcast mastermind. And uh, incidentally, if you are interested in podcasting and you're you're interested in joining a group of people who talk about this stuff, um, the podcast mastermind is taking applications right now uh, for people who want to join. Um, it is a paid membership group. But uh, anyway, if you go over to thepodcastmastermind.com, then you can get details about that. And I guess that'll be my other pick, though. I'm pretty sure I've picked it before. But uh, anyway, so... You've never picked it on this show. Oh, I haven't? I no, I would have remembered. I was going to ask you about it before. Yeah, the Podcast Mastermind has actually been um, really terrific. Um I've, I've also been toying with the idea of starting a freelancer's mastermind because um, as, as nice it is, as it is to be part of the podcast mastermind, and, and I'd stay a member of that too just because I get a lot of value out of it and a lot of feedback from uh, the guys in my mastermind group. There's only one other guy there that's actually like self-employed and in a kind of a solopreneur setup. And so I, well, besides Cliff, who actually runs the group, he, he facilitates the mastermind meetings and stuff. Um, he doesn't participate as an actual member of the group, but he does give feedback on stuff. So, um, he doesn't do the hot seat sessions and stuff. If you're familiar with how, um, a lot of the mastermind groups run. So anyway, um, but yeah, so I've gotten a lot of good feedback on my podcasting marketing and things like that, but it would be nice to have a group of freelancers that I could talk to about, you know, some of the other, uh, challenges that we run into that, that they understand that these guys probably don't. But still, I mean, even just having the mastermind at the level that it's at has been really, really helpful for me. And so um, anyway, so the podcast mastermind, if you're interested in talking to other podcasters about that stuff and and we go into all kinds of stuff. So it's 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 all about personal success. And, you know, and so whatever that means, if it includes, you know, success in your business, success in your job, success in life, success in you know, whatever. But, uh, the thing that we all have in common is, uh, is podcasting. And I have to tell you the guys that I'm, that are in my group are top notch. They're awesome. Um, and I really, really enjoy talking to them and you know, it's, it's just fun. So, so where's your podcasting about podcasting? <laughs> I have been <laughs> don't, tempted. Don't you need yet another podcast, Chuck? <laughs> I have been tempted. I've, I've also been tempted to, uh, pick up uh, uh, pick up a, another podcast on like iPhone development or something but I need to learn a little bit more about it so that I can Where, where's our podcast on science fiction damn it that's what I want to know we, we should start one we talked about it off and on for longer than we talked about this podcast I know we have been talking about it off and on I'm I'm seriously considering putting it together it, I just need to free up a little bit of time for it <laughs> and then that's been my major hang-up to be honest so you know I, I think we'll get there I think I'm laughing because I'm, I'm really quickly filling up my spare time with game development so I understand yeah a game development podcast would be really cool too. I, I know. Yeah, I few, have to have a clue first. <laughs> yeah, I have a few other friends though that do game development on kind of a larger scale. I have one friend that's been developing flash games for I don't know, like ten years or something. Uh, that might be cool. I'd be willing to be the, the total noob on the podcast if, if if that was a possibility. I might learn something. Yeah, I, I would be more total noob, but um, we could probably get him and maybe find some other folks that you know do game development for Zynga or something and see if they're interested. Uh, I, in... Do we really want to bring the unholy monster into it? I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing around ideas, but you know, and I don't even know if their guys would be interested at all. But you well, know, probably to... too, well, they, they might be because they're probably too busy getting cut out of profit from the company oh 
yeah or blizzard or somebody like that but anyway um <laughs> activision those are happy people <laughs> yeah but but whatever the case i think it would be really interesting to talk about some of the challenges with game development yeah i think that'd be cool i'd love to do that i, th- I think that would be probably more fun than and, and kind of a different flavor than you know the, the sci-fi the language no the language specific stuff you oh know? yeah totally so anyway, well, I, that's something to think about. I might actually do that regardless of whether I have time to do it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Make the podcast five minutes to start. There we go. Ooh, wow, that'd be hard. Yeah, but anyway, so th- those are my picks. And uh, we'll have links to all that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, so th- uh, thanks for your input, guys. I think this uh, show went really well, and I'm, I'm excited for that. We are doing a book club. I just want to point that out. We haven't set a date for it yet. Um, tentatively scheduled for sometime in June, which is when we will have finished the book and be able to talk about it. Um, and uh, we're reading Get Clients Now by C.J. Hayden. And uh, so, yeah. Please, so- oh, sorry. I was just going to pop the stat. Please don't take this as encouragement as, as a reason to lose podcasts in the future. What do you mean? You said this 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 discussion went really well. So I said, please don't take this as encouragement to lose podcasts in the future. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it to do that. But anyway, so um, yeah, so I'll have a link in the show notes to where you can get the book. And um, yeah, so that that's it. That, that's all I got. 